All right. We have one week. One week before Christmas, right? <clears throat> Today is Sunday, and Christmas is on uh, next Sunday. Um, but I want to pause. Pause. I didn't even think about using that word, but pause and uh, just reflect on that song of a king sending his, his son uh, to the earth. In order for him to be a prince of peace, he is subject to the king, or he is uh, the, the offspring of the king. And to think of uh, the king sending his son to the earth for us, that really is the meaning of the season. Um, I wanted to make a couple quick observations from this morning that were really encouraging to me um, about peace, about uh, our congregation, about things that people are doing here that I think are beautiful and are good. Um, this morning, I saw Dorothy and Woody uh, discussing scripture together and praying together. Um, Jean shared a word with us this morning in our little pre-service prayer time um, that really acknowledged the significance of this next generation and the time that we're living in. Um, Mike and Jeremy were in the youth room fixing the light bulbs that needed to be replaced, doing an act of service, and I thought, wow, this is good. This is good. And even though not everything is good in the world right now, there are uh, reasons for us to rejoice this season, even just within our congregation. And I do want to invite everybody in here because I don't see any new faces. I see um, several of us that are just a part of this congregation, right? Um, come earlier and pray. If, if you have time to be here before 11 and spend five, ten minutes in prayer for the service, if, even if it's not just for the service, for things going on in life, well, let's pray for each other and encourage each other. Um, I noticed in the back, uh, one of the, in our staff meeting, we were talking about just some measurements of success and measurements of, of what's going on in the church. And what I have noticed um, recently is that people have been lingering longer after service because we enjoy spending time with each other and we want to have an opportunity to connect if we haven't connected throughout the week. And uh, I see that as a good thing. And so we want to create some more opportunities and a space where that is more readily available to be able to just sit and talk, um, talk with each other. And some of that may be repentance, which I've had to do even today for a few of you and asking for forgiveness and apologizing for mistakes that I've made throughout the week, you know, or or my family as well, uh, so that we can connect and uh, forgive one another, love one another, and continue walking this life together. Um, that's really what church is about. And then lastly, Jesse asked me, or said, this service better be good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it reminded me of our, our core value of inner self, and whether or not I have elegant words or something powerful from the scripture, um, I'm just trying to be obedient to what God has put on my heart to share it with you, and my hope is that the Spirit moves within you to receive uh, what may be put on the table, either from myself or from someone else in, in the room today, um, that you would take the personal responsibility to grow uh, in your walk with Christ. Cool. Jesse said he always likes my pre-service, like, five-minute introduction. <laughs> That's what this is. Um, and I also did want to mention this Christmas tree. I read over a lot of these this week and prayed over um, a lot of them. It's, and I think it's beautiful. Really, if you guys haven't added one up here, go ahead and, and add one up here. 
Um, some of the names on here, I saw Jim's name pop up multiple times. We miss Jim, um, and we continue to pray for Jim. Um, I saw a lot of new names, names that I didn't recognize or know, where I'm like, that's awesome. If, if there is a friend that you have been wanting to invite or is hoping gets connected in some way with church, um, make sure you're inviting them to come and join us. That, that would be awesome. And then the one that I wasn't so sure about was uh, more Raiders fans, less Niners fans. <laughs> I don't know which, who said that one, but I have, a, <laughs> I have a strong guess as to who might have placed that one up here. I actually threw it away. It's not up there anymore. But no, I didn't. It's still up there. It's still up there. I mean, God hears the prayers of your heart, even if they're wrong. Um, <laughs> it's okay, Steve. We still love you, even if you are a Raiders fan. Okay. Um, so I was, I, I've been spending, one of my, my goals was to spend more time here in the building to pray for what happens here, to pray for you guys, to pray for us as a congregation. And so I did, I was spending some time uh, worshiping this week, um, repenting, worshiping, and praying. And uh, I like the mornings because they're so quiet here. And I can sing as loud as I want, right? And um, nobody tells me to stop. Oftentimes at home, my, my kids will be like, Dad, stop. Or my wife will be like, ugh, you're off key. You know, it's terrible. And I was singing, and I was singing loud. And I woke up, and I was kind of expecting others to be in the room with me because um, I had my eyes closed. Then I realized it was just like the dogs howling outside <laughs> and singing along with me. Um, but the song came on, uh, and it really hit home as to the message of the Prince of Peace. And it's, it was the song, uh, It Is Well. It is well with my soul. And uh, my goal for these Sunday, mor- Sunday mornings is that we can come together, worship together, talk with, with each other about what God's doing in our lives, pray with each other, um, and get into, like, and really allow the Spirit to, to teach us and wash over us. Uh, and I'm not sure if you've heard the story of Horatio Spafford. Um, I'm, I'm sure if you've been in church long enough, you probably heard of him at some point, but he was the author of that song, It Is Well. And if you haven't heard of it or heard his story, I'm going to just kind of read you an excerpt from um, how this song came about. Horatio Spafford uh, knew something about life's unexpected challenges. He was a successful attorney and real estate investor who lost a fortune in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Around the same time, his beloved four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. So thinking a vacation would do his family some good, he sent his wife and four kids on a ship to England, planning to join them after he finished some pressing business at home. However, while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship was involved in a terrible collision and sunk. More than 200 people lost their lives, including all four of Horatio Spafford's precious daughters. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy. Upon arriving in England, she sent a telegram to her husband that began, Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio immediately set sail for England, and at one point during his voyage, the captain of the ship, aware of the tragedy that had struck the Spafford family, summoned Horatio to tell him that they were now passing over the spot where the shipwreck had occurred. As Horatio thought about his daughters, words of comfort and hope filled his heart and mind, and he wrote them down, and they have since become a well-known or well-beloved hymn, when peace 
like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Perhaps we cannot always say that everything is well in all aspects of our lives. There will always be storms to face, and sometimes there will be tragedies, but with faith in a loving God and with trust in his divine help, we can confidently say, it is well, it is well with our soul. Right? I don't know if I would have the courage to be able to pen those words in that given circumstance. That would be hard. That'd be hard to claim that it is well, it is well with my soul. I mean, I was thinking about, for me, I actually had one of the most restless nights of sleep this last week um, because my dog kept curling up on my shoulder and licking the back of my head (laughs) while I was trying to sleep. And it was about three o'clock in the morning where I had to just tell myself, when peace like a river, and I started saying, God is the Prince of Peace. And then I threw him, no, I didn't throw him, but... I had to remove my dog from the bedroom so that I could actually get some sleep. And I thought, okay, this is in small scale, some sort of peace that is, is not being presented. And this guy lost all of his family. And yet he is still able to say, to say it is well with our soul. Um, in our world, we, we seek to establish peace. But I was thinking about what are some of the common pictures that we see um, in our world today during Christmas time. This, is, this might stress some of you out because these are not peaceful pictures, right? I think about the post-opening of presents and what your, your living room may look like. I think about the untangling of lights. Isn't that the worst? Gosh, I hate it. And you're trying to like pull them apart and then you accidentally step on one and break it and it's, all, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. And then uh, how about shopping? I know it doesn't quite look like this anymore since we have Amazon. But on, uh, what's that Friday? Black Friday, right? If you go out to the, the, the malls or whatever, I'm sure it probably still looks a lot like this. There's chaos, there's confusion, there's uh, madness all over the place, and you may feel like you are, are going mad. Um, we seek to establish peace in a lot of these things, but a lot of times we end up um, with things that are not permanent. We have a, a, an impermanence of peace in our life, and instead uh, we continually live with chaos, conflict, and confusion. In fact, maybe one of the greatest uh, examples of this confusion is in the Middle East. If we look at this, um, this is the Church of the Nativity found in Bethlehem. Right? I went there back in the, <clears throat> the year 2004. This is pre-COVID, so there were, this place was packed out. And this place is, um, it, they built a church around what they believed to be the birthplace of Jesus, right? Uh, and, and you can go, if you can see it, if you walk back down into this little area, you can walk down underneath the, the building, and they have a little spot where you can stick your head in, and there's a little star around the exact place where they believe Jesus was born. Now, is it the exact place where Jesus I don't know. I don't know. We don't know for real right? But you can go in there, and people worship at this place. They worship Jesus, the Messiah, coming into the world as the baby, uh, as, as um, a newborn baby. But the, on top of this church is uh, a star, representing the star of David, representing the star of Bethlehem to the, at the Church of the Nativity. And it's actually been the source of conflict for hundreds of years. And this is why, 
Okay? For many years, I'm going to read you this is another story about this. For many years, there was a large silver that, that sat on top of the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. And one day back in the 1800s, okay, the Roman Catholic Church, which shares a part of the building with the Greek Orthodox Church, and it's, I don't know how they do this, but there's like a line down the middle of the church that says, okay, Roman Catholics, you have this side. Greek Orthodox Church, you have this side. And they, they kind of share the building. Uh, well, the Greek Orthodox Church, or no, the Roman Catholic Church decided to take down the silver star and replace it with their own star, right? But the Greek Orthodox Church refused to let them do that, and they said, no, you're, you're not going to take down our star. So the Greek Orthodox Church, it was supported by Russia, and the Roman Catholic Church was supported by France, but it was Turkey who actually ruled over Palestine, where the church is located, and, and when Turkey decided to side with the Roman Catholic Church, Russia declared war on Turkey, right? Immediately, France and England, they, they allied themselves with Turkey and fought what history calls the Crimean War, okay? You might have heard of that one before, and that war lasted from 1853 to 1856. And at the end of that war, the star came down fighting over stuff, right? And isn't it ironic that in the very place of the birth of the Prince of Peace, of Jesus, is where we almost have the most hostile, the most uh, frequent of conflict and war. That conflict continues until today, right? You can hear about the Israeli-Palestinian debate all day long from multiple different angles and from multiple different people. And in fact, that's probably a little bit of what you were alluding to this morning, Gene, was that there is conflict going on in the Middle East. And so when you're at home this Christmas and you're watching TV, if you do, and, and you see uh, shots of, of the Church of the Nativity where people are coming to, to worship Jesus, I want you to take note of the armed soldiers that will be surrounding the building and the Israeli police. They're strapped. They got grenades across their chest and big old guns on their back. Um, they, are, they are strapped and ready for battle. Um, I want that to be a reminder to us, though, that when Christ returns, all that will change. Everything changes. In the second coming of Christ, Jesus will make peace permanent. Right now is temporary. We find peace in different things, and a peace that even surpasses all understanding, but yet we go to work the next day, or our kids wake up in the morning, and it's just crazy again, and the chaos continues, and the conflict continues, and there's war, there's rumors of war, and there's battles all over the place, and peace just seems to elude us all the time. Your dog sits on your shoulder, your lights get tangled, your presents get opened, Christmas happens. Peace won't be permanent until the second coming of Christ. But when Christ reigns on the earth, his peace will rule the world because all will be made right again with God. It's going to be different when Jesus comes back again. The first time, Jesus rode into the city on a donkey. The second time, he comes back riding a white horse, claiming victory. The first time, he stood before Pilate. The second time, Pilate will stand before him. The first time, Jesus was rejected, but at the last time, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
At the first advent, uh, Jesus wore a crown of thorns on his head. On the second, he will come wearing the crown of glory. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. He will make all things new again. He will create a new heaven and a new earth. And there will be a new smile on his face. And at that moment, everything changes. Everything changes. And so when we, when we declare in Advent hope, this is the hope that we are placing our hearts, our trust, and our lives into, that Jesus will return again to establish peace on the earth. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, that we can look forward to Christ's reign of peace on the earth with, uh, he says, but in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. I wanted to get into our, our scripture this morning that Aurora read for us. There is a twofold task of the Prince of Peace. As we look through uh, the, the two verses before uh, Isaiah 9 6 and the verse after Isaiah 9 6, it says, Jesus Christ is the wonderful counselor. The mighty God, everlasting Father, and the focus of our attention this, morning, attention this morning, the Prince of Peace. He is the one who actually brings peace into the world and into our lives. The, the Hebrew word that's used here for peace is the word shalom. Shalom. You can go around Israel all over the place, uh, even in modern day Israel, and you'll see little placards that say shalom. It is the peace that we all seek when times are hard. And I think about some of the things going on in our lives right now, and um, my heart breaks for some of us in-laws who have cancer that are facing the reality of, of the ends of their lives. Like, that makes it hard. And we're looking for peace. Those who have lost jobs, those who have um, just dealt with the, the insecurities that life brings, and what we are seeking for is peace. How do we find peace in this. It's this shalom, it has all the connotations, it has all the same meanings of English, but it also includes a few more things, a lot more actually. It means not simply psychological ease, but a holistic sense of fulfillment and well-being and flourishing. Okay? That kind of comprehensive shalom peace is what the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah envisioned for the future in the new heavens and in the new earth. Shalom is the kind of the Prince of Peace will bring. So in according to, to this verse, right before Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he achieves this peace in two ways. The first is by ending war. It says, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. As we read in Isaiah 9, 4 through 5, the Prince of Peace is going to break the rod of the oppressor. The governments that we know that are, are in, in place, he's going to break down all governments, not just U.S. government, Russian government, Chinese government, whatever it is. Those earthly reigns will no longer be in effect. He will break the rod of the oppressor. Those who have been under the thumb or rule of governments in this land will be destroyed. And every blood-soaked garment worn in war will be rolled up and burnt for fuel. This is one of the, the strong initiatives or strong beliefs that the Brethren Church holds is that we, we, we're pacifists because of this. 
Because we believe that Jesus claims victory in his second coming, that he will end war. Not that we, we don't have a desire for that to happen and want to fight strongly for Jesus, but we believe that he's the one that rides the white horse and comes in claiming victory. Anything that we do or attempts that we may make on our side of this, this, this life are futile in comparison to what Jesus can do. Jesus rides on the white horse. Jesus claims uh, victory. He breaks the rod of the oppressor. Secondly, he will extend well-being or promote safety, security, and human flourishing. Right? We see that in Isaiah 9-7, that of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He will rule with justice and with righteousness and thus cause everyone under his reign and rule to flourish. Forever and ever. The peace that we find nowadays is temporary, but the peace that Jesus offers is forever. This is the twofold task of the Prince of Peace, right? It's a process of peacemaking that Christians believe began at Christ's birth as he stepped down from his throne in heaven and came to us and will establish forever at the second coming of Christ. We put our hope in that, that Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And thus he made peace through the blood of his cross. Peace between God and man by dealing with sin. Do you know that peace? Have you embraced Christ to find that peace? Because when times get hard, tribulations come your way. He's the only one that can provide it. Do you know that peace? And perhaps it is uh, good at this point to, to point out that it's the peace that we find in Christ is, is not necessarily circumstantial. It's not that things are going to get all better and, and those tribulations, those trials are going to end once you find the peace in Christ. It's not that it's going to be fixed, but that there will be peace through it. Okay? Conflict that we have to endure and, and broken relationships that we have to navigate and learn to live with. Okay? The Prince of Peace doesn't promise perfection in this life, but what he does promise is deep personal and spiritual peace in this life. Jesus talked about that kind of peace with his disciples, and he promised them just that kind of peace through a, a few of these verses that we see in uh, his farewell discourse. I wanted to read, um, the first one is from the message. I like the way that it was phrased a little bit better. It says, I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart. I have conquered the world. Earlier, he told his disciples, I am leaving with you a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. It's from the NLT. When Jesus appeared to the disciples after the resurrection, do you remember the first words to them? It's, it's what, he, he read, what we read in John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of the day of the first week, 
The doors being locked where the disciples were for, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. That is what the Prince of Peace offers to his followers. It's not just this cozy little feeling that you might have. It's, it's not just some pie-in-the-sky kind of peace. It's the kind of peace that steadies the storm, that brings light to the darkness. It's the kind of peace that sustains us, encourages us, brings uh, peace to us when the world is seemingly out of control and chaos is overcoming. When circumstances in our life seem to take a turn for the worse and we don't know what we're going to do. Peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding is what the Prince of Peace offers us. So when we hear songs like, It is well with my soul, we think about the Prince of Peace and what he offers us. We, as the church, embody peace. And we anticipate the peace at his return. I wanted to, to conclude... Um, with a famous English uh, poem by a famous English poet named John Milton. He was the author of Paradise Lost, um, and he, he wrote a lot of these, a lot of poems, and a lot of them aren't known, but he wrote this one on the morning of Christ's nativity in 1629. And when I read it, I think I needed to take a few breaths, so maybe we could do that right now and just maybe even close your eyes. And imagine the the picture that he presents for us here. This is the month. And this the happy morn. Wherein the son of heaven's eternal king. Of wedded maid and virgin mother born. Our great redemption from above did bring. For so the holy sages once did sing that he, our deadly forfeit, should release. And with his Father's work, us, a perpetual peace. Let's pray. God, I pray for the peace to rule in our hearts. You are the Prince of Peace. God, you are the King. God, I pray that in the chaos, the conflict, the confusion, the consumerism of this season, that we would be able to find peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that you promised would be with us. Knowing that you came to the earth as a human, that you can relate with us in every way, that you know the problems, the struggles, the pains, the fears, the anxieties that we all experience. And you gave us the perfect example of peace. God, I think of you in the Garden of Gethsemane with the disciples. And as Peter was afraid of 
you being arrested, that he would pull his sword and cut the guard's ear. And the peace that overcame as you grabbed it and put it back on. God, I think of the peace that surrounded your ascension to the Mount of Golgotha. That as you were battered and bruised and beaten, breathing in your last breaths, you were succumbed by peace. Peace of knowing that you would overcome this world, that you would overcome death. God, I think of the peace as you were born in a manger, no crib for a bed. I think of your peace as the wise men and the shepherds surrounded your birth, as Mother Mary delivered a son. God, I think of the peace that surrounds us as we look into the stars at night. We know that you are the creator, the God that has created all things. Every breath that we breathe, every word that we speak, you are the Christ. God, I pray that we would take moments like this to experience your peace in prayer as we let your word wash over us, as we let, as we let the stories of Christ overcome us, as we let the Spirit of God speak words into our life of peace, of overcoming, of hope, of joy, of anticipation, as we foresee the, the riding of Christ on a white horse coming down from the heavens to bring victory over all injustice, over all oppression, over all the governments of this land, and your, your established throne would bring peace, God, as we gather around the throne of God, kneeling before you every tongue, tribe, and nation in our own tongues and in our own languages, worshiping the holy God. The peace that will overcome us as we sit in your presence and worship you as the rainbow surrounds your throne, God, and, and, and the colors of this earth they all turn to light as you bring light into the darkness and light overcomes us and brings peace. God, I pray our hearts would be subject to peace as we approach Christmas, as we approach the celebration of your birth. God, in this peace, we turn our hearts to worship. We pray this in your name. Amen.